Evelyn was the family historian. She was happily married with a couple of kids. Delving into family history was something that she loved to do. She loved determining which side of the family certain traits, certain traits came from. If it was a negative trait in her kids, there was an uncanny knack that it usually was attributed to her husband's side. Time after time and trait after trait, the good traits came from her family, and the less than desirable traits continued to come from the in-laws' side. And being the historian that she was, she could even pinpoint which side of her in-laws' family it came from, whether it was her mother-in-law's family or her father-in-law's family. Family history can be equal parts fascinating and also overwhelming. It offers a glimpse into why you are the way that you are, how you were formed in the culture and, and the climate that you grew up in. Diagramming your family of origin is something that counselors use to determine if there's any repeating trends that occurred in the past that may have either blatantly or unintentionally influenced your habits. For example, if your parents never took a day off of work, you probably learned a good work ethic, but there's a good chance that you've been conditioned to be a workaholic because it's what you know, it's what you've seen modeled, and this is how it's supposed to be. We learn family history because family history reveals something about us. However, family history doesn't define you. Just because your parents, grandparents, or great-grandparents went through similar life experiences, it doesn't mean that you are destined to follow in their footsteps. But it also doesn't mean that you're entitled to the same circumstances or status just because you share a bloodline. In our text this morning, Jesus gives a little family history lesson to a group of people who are so convinced and caught up with their family ties that they can't see that they've departed from the ways of their ancestors, the very ways in which they claim to walk, and yet they couldn't be any further away. Again, I invite you to open your Bibles to John chapter 8. So I read verses 31 through 44, and you can be seated for this time. It's a longer passage. John chapter 8, 31 through 44. Again, reading in Jesus' name. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, then you, are my, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me, because my word has no place in you. I speak the things which I have seen with my father. Therefore you also do the things which you heard from your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. This Abraham did not do. You are, you are doing the deeds of your father. They said to him, We were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and have come from God. For I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. You are your, of your father the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. 
He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Father God, these are your words and your word is true. We pray this morning, Lord, that you would help us to remain in your truth, to abide in in your truth today and, and each and every day. Give us wisdom and understanding to see how your word applies to us today, here this morning. I pray that you be with our hearts and our minds. May they be open to your word, to your instruction, and to your correction. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jesus here is giving a little family history lesson to those who are in the temple that day, the Jews that are in the temple. The Pharisees are, are trying to pin down where Jesus came from. If they know who Jesus' father was, then they could know a little bit more about who he is. They weren't taking God for an answer, though, as they continued to ask the question. They would have known that Jesus was Joseph's son. Yet Jesus isn't tying himself here to his stepdad. He's tying himself to the father, recognizing that I am the son of God. And he says in verse 28 these words, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am, and I do nothing on my own initiative. But I speak these things as the Father taught me, and he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And at first glance, this kind of sounds like a guy who's got a, a little bit of a complex a guy who's maybe a little full of himself right here and could use a healthy dose of humility. He's claiming that he always pleases God all day, every day, every thought, every word, every action, every deed that he does is pleasing to God. He also says that the words that he speaks are the words that God has taught him to say. And he makes the bold claim that God is with him. Now these words were received as the blasphemous words they would be had they not been true. Yet in these words is Jesus' revelation of himself. And through these words, many came to believe in him as he spoke to them. John wrote in verse 30. And this is the crowd to which Jesus is addressing here in our text. If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Strange words for a people who didn't find themselves enslaved. And yes, they were presently under Roman occupation at this time, but they were still able to keep a clear conscience. They were good, law-abiding citizens. They were devout Jews. They knew the significance of that pedigree. They were chosen. They were set apart. They were good to go with God because they were his chosen people. But even the sons of Abraham weren't as free as they had imagined. Jesus says in verse 34, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. Jesus names a a bondage that extends to all persons, regardless of the roots in your family tree. If you're a descendant of Abraham, this is true of you. If you're not a descendant of Abraham, this is also true of you. Everyone who sins is a slave of sin whether you realize it or not. The Apostle Paul picks up on this family history in his letter to the Romans, recognizing that our first parents, Adam and Eve, gave in to sin. And from that point on, all mankind has been marred by sin, and every descendant of Adam was born into bondage. We are all slaves to sin, everyone except for one, 
And that's this man who is speaking to the Jews in this text, who's not a, a son of Adam, but is a son of God. Jesus is not marred by sin. Jesus reveals what's necessary for these newly believing Jews, as well as the doubters and the unbelievers among them. He tells them something that, that we know. Slaves don't inherit the house. If you're writing a will, you probably don't deed your house and all of your, your property and all of your assets to the people that are cleaning your home. If not, let me know and I can clean your home maybe once a week or one last time or something like that. Slaves don't inherit the house. Slaves don't inherit the gift of eternal life is what Jesus is saying here. What these Jews needed above anything else was a transfer of status from that of slave to sin to son of God. They needed adoption. Jesus identifies the means of their adoption in the next verse. If the Son makes you free, you'll be free indeed. If these folks wanted to be set free, there was only one way for them to be set free. And that was through the Son, through the very man who is speaking to them, the very man that they are up in arms with and, not, and refusing to believe any single word that he says. Being a physical descendant of Abraham isn't going to save you from your sin. They needed more. They needed the Son. They needed to be set free from their bondage to sin. And this thing that they need is the very thing that they so defiantly and violently reject. Jesus calls out to the crowd for their cold reception of him. He identifies, look guys, you're trying to kill me. You say that you're a son of Abraham, but Abraham never tried to kill me. He believed me. And yet here you are trying to kill me. They're trying to kill him because his word has no place for, in them. They haven't received it. They neither are believing it, nor are they continuing in it. The statements that Jesus made are difficult for them to swallow. And, and you can imagine, if you've been a, a good person all of your life, you tell yourself, I'm, I'm a good Christian, and you go to church, you do all the different things, all the religious boxes, you've checked all those things, and someone comes up to you, and says, I hate to break it to you, but uh, it's not enough. And that's not going to save you. That's not going to deliver you. And actually, you, you're a slave. We don't necessarily want to hear that. But how are they to believe the things that Jesus speaks? How are they to believe that the things that Jesus speaks are things that he has seen from his Father, God? And why is he differentiating between his Father and their Father? Weren't they all sons of Abraham? The Jews respond to Jesus' statement informing him and digging in and declaring that they are indeed Abraham's descendants. But here's the thing. They aren't acting like Abraham's descendants at all. Jesus tells them that, in fact, they're, they're resembling a different father. They're resembling, ultimately, that, that their father isn't Abraham. They don't share that family resemblance anymore, nor is it God. He says in verse 38... I speak the things which I have seen from my, with the Father, with my Father. Therefore, you also do the things which you heard from your Father. Jesus identifies here that they have a different Father, one who is not God, one who is not Abraham, but a different Father in whose footsteps they are following. Growing up in Ishpeming, geometros were synonymous with Langness vehicle. They were handy little cars, and our family had a whole fleet of them. They had no power, no horsepower, but they got pretty good gas mileage, and that's what mattered to us. We had a whole fleet of them. 
Red, blue, white, green, black. Again, if you saw Geo Metro, it was one of us driving around the area. My dad drove one to school that he taught at. It was a white one, and this eventually was passed down when we got another one, a newer model, and, and the kids, Jeremy and myself, got this white one. So we would drive it around. But people knew that this was my dad's car, and they knew that it was now Jeremy and myself that were driving around. Well, there was a bakery in town that sold fresh goods. And if you have fresh goods, if you sell fresh goods, you can't sell not fresh goods. So you have to deal with your no longer fresh goods. And so they would bag them up in a garbage bag and take them to the dumpster at closing time. So if you were to park at the Burger King parking lot, just sharing a parking lot almost with the bakery, and if you were there at the right time to get a burger, you could walk home with a full bag of no longer fresh baked goods that are warmed up in a black bag in a nice dumpster for you. My dad was not too pleased to know that his car was doing this because it's not what a Langness should do. It's not what he would do. Although if you ask him, maybe he would have back in the day. I don't know. But there's a, this resemblance here. And he told us, he made it very clear, in no uncertain terms, we are not to be doing that, that that's stealing. And that was a lesson for us to learn that day. But it was good for us to hear that. But he said, you are Langnesses. We don't do this. We don't want people in the community saying that Langnesses are stingy and they're stealing from the bakery and they're too poor or too cheap to go and buy it five minutes before closing time kind of a thing. So he's learned what it meant to be a Langness and to walk in the footsteps of our father. In a similar way, Jesus tells these descendants of Abraham here that they're not doing the deeds that their father did. They're not walking as a son of Abraham should walk. They are not walking and living their lives as though they were sons of God, as, God, as if God were their father. Instead, they're following in someone else's footsteps. And he encourages them, guys, if you're going to claim to be Abraham's descendants, then do the works that Abraham said. Follow God, obey God, honor him. Abraham didn't try to kill Jesus, and they were trying to kill him. Jesus attaches this behavior to another father, another one whose sole goal in life was to destroy and wipe out Jesus. They didn't learn this behavior from Jesus. They learned it from someone else. And the Jews take offense at Jesus' words, and they double down. If Jesus won't accept Abraham as their father, then they'll simply go higher up the food chain. Say, okay, you say I'm not a descendant of Abraham. Well, Jesus, I got one better for you. We are sons of God. We listen to him, and we follow him. And so this is how we're going to live our lives. And you need to be snuffed out. There's a paraphrase again. But again, Jesus calls him out. If you were truly sons of God, then you wouldn't try to kill me. He's the one who sent me. I didn't come here on, on my own idea and say, oh, oh, Father, please just send me down with these people. It's going to be a wonderful life. The Father sent the Son. But as it is, they are trying to kill the very messenger whom God had sent. They're trying to kill God's only begotten Son. Jesus goes so far as to identify why they aren't listening to God. He says, look, guys, you guys, you can't hear his word. It's not the fact that their ears aren't working enough to receive the syllables of the sound of his voice, but to listen to his word and to receive it, to hear it, to believe it. They don't believe it. And they can't believe it. They can't hear it because they will not hear it. They want nothing to do with it because they know that they're right and they have no need of correction. Jesus is the one 
who is in error. Jesus is the one who is speaking blasphemy. Jesus is the one who needs to be put to death. They will not hear it because they are in bondage to sin. And this bondage to sin refuses to hear God's word and refuses to receive it. They're bound to sin because they have another father. Jesus names their father in verse 44, You are of your father the devil, and you, do, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar, a father of lies. Jesus puts the crowd on notice here. How will they receive his words? Will they receive these difficult truths for them to swallow that, that though they should be sons of Abraham, though they should be sons of God and walking in his ways and receiving his word and receiving Christ, will they give up their past history of trying to kill Christ? Or will they dig further in and dismiss the words of the one who came to bring them life? Will they realize that they are operating in opposition to Abraham, that rather than receiving God's word, they're trying to kill him? Do they, receive, do they realize that their claim to be sons of God is a hollow deception and that they're actually acting much more like the devil? These are hard statements, difficult to hear, especially for these good religious people. It's much easier to simply disregard the messenger, or better yet, to silence the messenger so that he can no longer confront their sinful ways. The text continues on and we learn how these Jews responded to Jesus. Rather than continuing on in Christ's word, rather than being set free from their bondage into sin and to acknowledge it, to recognize it, they choose instead to write Jesus off as a lunatic, as the one who is demon-possessed. This man doesn't know what he's talking about. He is being possessed by the devil or by demons. Jesus can't be who he says he is. We're not really the bad guys here. We're not the children of the devil. No, he's the demon-possessed one. So listen to us, not them. I'm a good person. I'm good to go. I'm a descendant of Abraham. I have nothing to worry about. It's Jesus who's off his rocker. No wonder what Jesus would have to say to us today. Or better yet, how we would respond to Jesus. Do we accept his word as the authoritative and errant Word of God, even when it tells us things that we don't want to hear, even when it tells us things that are, are difficult for us to swallow. It's easy to say absolutely when we keep it vague and just not specific at all. But what about when it says that we are enslaved to sins? Do we recognize that we are in bondage to sin? Do we say, no, I, I can still do what I want. I can make those choices. I don't have to give in to this anymore. I'm, I'm basically a good person. What about where it says that the only way to be released from this bondage is through the Son? Is Jesus the only way, truth, and the life? Or are there other ways? As long as you believe what you believe and you're devout and you're, you're a person of faith, a generic faith in some random higher power, whoever it might be, that's good enough for, for God? That's good enough for me? Or what about when it says to lay bare all of our claims of being a good person? person who's tried hard to live a good life for the fact that we've come from a Christian family. Is this the peg that we hang up our hat on? When Jesus says, whoever wants to follow after me must deny himself, pick up his cross and follow me, do we realize that? Or do we say, eh, there are other passages of scripture, Jesus, that are maybe more acceptable for me. 
And when he says in verse 31, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. Do we want to continue in his word? Or I think I've got a good enough handle on it. I don't need to continue in it anymore. I know enough. I'm good to go. Or it's kind of a lot of hard work. I don't want to continue in this. At the end of the day, none of these things matter if we side along with these devout Jews who dismiss Christ's words as a meaningless mutterings of a man who is demon-possessed. What would Jesus say about our family history? Are we walking in the footsteps as the same father as Jesus did, or are we following in the footsteps of the devil and numbing our own consciences with his lies, the belief that, that you're fine, you're good to go, don't ever change? You've got some Christian roots. Don't worry about it. But what does Jesus say in verse 31? If you continue in my word, and you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Jesus calls us not just to be saved, he calls us to be disciples. He calls us to continue in his word. Our family history, or even our own personal history, isn't going to set us free. The Son sets us free. And he does this through his word, the word that he calls us to continue in, to believe, to build our lives upon it, to trust, to learn, to follow, to obey, to study, to receive. And this is the same word that John had spoken of earlier in John chapter 1. That word that was from the beginning with God. That was with God, that was God. That word that became flesh and dwelt among us, Jesus. Jesus came to his own. And those who were his own, those who should have received him with open arms, like these Jews, did not receive him. But hear this, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. Even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And this includes you and I who are in bondage to sin who are born not children of God, but who are born children of the devil, enslaved to sin. This is an adoption that is available for us, for each person. A sonship to God the Father that comes through Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh who has come to save us, to set us free, to give us life. Will you receive his Word? Will you receive him? And will you continue in his Word? Or turn your back on him? Friends, Christ has come to set us free. And he does this through his word. This word that he comes to us day in and day out as we open his word, we read his word, we study his word. Week after week as we come here to this congregation to hear his word proclaimed, as we study his word, Christ comes to us and reveals to us the uncomfortable truth of who we really are, but the beautiful, comforting truth of who Christ is and what he has done. So that the Son sets you free, then you will be free indeed. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word and for its truth. God, we thank you that you have sent your Son into this world to save sinners, among whom, God, I am foremost. We pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts today to realize that we are in bondage to sin apart from you, but that you have come to set us free. Father, we pray that you would teach us to continue in your word, that we would be your disciples that we would continue to walk in your footsteps. Lord, that when people look and see us in our lives, that they would see not, not just a good person, but, Father, that they would see the good works that you've called us to do, that they might glorify you. Lord, that they might know who you are. 
and come to a saving relationship with you too, that they would grow to be your disciples. Lord, we pray that you would continue to teach us to be your disciples each and every day. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.